If you would, turn in the Bible to James chapter four. James chapter four. We're gonna finish up James four today. We're gonna look at verses 13 through 17. And while there's been a lot of talk recently about our speech, uh, it does begin today with our speech, but it's not so much speech today that is the problem, but rather the mindset. It asks the question in the middle of James four, what is your life? It wants us to take a step back and get a bigger picture in mind, a bird's eye view, if you will, a God-sized view, if you will, of our lives. And anytime you actually look in the mirror or step back even further and look from God's perspective, you see life as big and bigger than you. This is the question that James asks in chapter four, what is your life? I want to ask here this morning, what is your life? What's the purpose? What's the hope? What's the driving factor? What's the treasure? What's the point? Let's be honest. What is the point of our lives? I get to do a lot of funerals. And I'm thankful that I do, and I'm, I'm glad to be a part of them in a, in a, in a, in a weird, kind of healthy type of way. I like being involved with funerals. I find them to be so good for my soul. And there's some that I remember really, really well. And there was one several years ago, a man who was in his mid-40s had passed away, left behind his wife and their six children. And at the funeral as it ended during the final song as they were letting people pass by, I'll never forget his five-year-old walking up to the casket. I was standing off to the side like the minister does and I was over there and the casket was there. It wasn't in our church, it was at a funeral home, but I was over there and the casket was here and that little five-year-old was on its tiptoes, literally trying to climb in there to kiss his father. I've never forgotten that scene and I think about it all the time. It reminded me how much that kid loved his dad And it showed me that that kid would never again be kissed by his dad or hugged by his dad. And I remember thinking that day, I wanna hug and kiss my kids as often as I can in case there may come a time when I won't be able to. This is what James means when he says, what is your life? What are your values? What matters to you? But it's not so much about family and children as it is about God. Where is God in view? Read with me James 4, 13 through 17. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do 
and fails to do it, for him it is sin. James has been good for us. We've been calling this study through James a faith works series so that we would see that faith in Christ is the only way that life works. Faith in the true and living God who loves us and sent his son to die for us, to bring us into a relationship with him is the true way that life works, faith works. You get this when you think about the truths that James brings up today. My first point today is the certainty of life. My second point today is the uncertainty of life. My final point will be the significance of life. The certainty, the uncertainty, and the significance of life. Number one, Life has a lot of certainty to it, does it not? We see here in verse 13 that there is a strategizing or planning, you're gonna hear that word a lot today, or planning of our lives. There are lots of things that we wish for, hope for. We have dreams and goals. We have things that we would like to do. Perhaps you have a bucket list of things that you are hoping to accomplish before it is too late to accomplish that. And we see this here as James says, come now, you who say such and such a things like this, today or tomorrow we will go here and into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. James is addressing people who say things like that. James is addressing people who have the ability to do things like that. And let's be honest, a lot of people may wish to do things like that, but not everybody has the ability to do that. There's a lot of discussion about if James is addressing rich people who have the lifestyles that sound like that. But we don't necessarily know that here, although he's going to address rich people in the next sermon beginning in chapter 5. He's talking about people who are planning. But the point of this passage is when we plan without God. But we're not there yet. That's the second point. The first point is just planning. And there's nothing wrong with planning. It is good. And this is the certainty of life. There are things that you and I have to do. We have responsibilities. And if you are going to be responsible, you must do the things that are required of you, that are expected of you. I hope you paid your electricity bill this month or you may come home today to find it turned off. Unless we're still not turning them off during COVID, I do not know. Once someone comes to faith in Christ... They are filled with passion and purpose to live for God. You know this to be true. He's gripped your life. You want your life to count. You want your life to be lived in a way that makes a difference in the world. We desire to contribute. We desire to be a part of what God's doing. We desire to make a difference. Many of us remember after getting saved, learning verses like 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And that still shakes your bones. You want to do it all for the glory of God. We remember thinking, man, I want to live for Jesus. I want everything about my life to be for God's glory. And so from there, we have to start thinking, okay, what am I going to do? What does it look like to live my life with certainty and purpose? And there we see that it's not as easy 
It is so energizing to think, yes, Jesus is what it's all about. I know that. King of kings, Lord of lords. I'm gonna stand before him one day. I'm gonna answer to him one day. And so I'm gonna live every moment for him. And then we have to say, okay, well, what am I gonna do today? And that's not as easy to answer, is it? And so we start planning. We start setting goals. We start saying, here's what I'm gonna do. And then perhaps we lose sight. We lose sight of the God that put us on that position. This is the very challenge of life. We know that there is a certainty, do we not? We know it has purpose and meaning. We know that there was a reason why God saved us. J.D. Greer, the current president of our Southern Baptist Convention, a pastor in North Carolina, recently wrote a book where the title is this, What Are You Going to Do With Your Life? That's the question. And that's the title of the book. What are you going to do with your life? He gets at this very idea, the certainty of life. Life is short. Life has purpose. God wants to use you. And it raises the question, how do I think through all of these things? I remember being in school many, many years ago, and I remember hearing a professor say this, and I've not forgotten it. I wrote it in the front of my old Bible, the one that got ran over, and so I don't have it written in the front of this one. I wrote it in the front of my Bible, life is too short, and hell is too sure for us to be lazy as believers. I hope you believe that. Life is too short, hell is too sure for us to be lazy as believers. There is a certainty to this life. I remember the summer before my sophomore year of college, life was going so good for me, I was happy, I was having a good time. And during that summer, my parents asked if I could sit down on the back deck and us talk for a little bit. And so I was 19 and we did. And me and mom and dad were sitting out there and my dad's not necessarily a big talker, but he said, okay, so what's your plan? And I remember saying like, well, I don't know. I don't know what I'm gonna do. But I love God and I know he's got a purpose for my life. And I remember my dad saying, well, that's good and I'm glad that you do, but you better get a plan. And I remember living with the pressure of there's a certainty to this life. It matters what I do. But yet trying to figure that out is not as easy. And we all know, we struggle with that. Should we move? Should we not? Should we save? Should we spend? What should we do? It's certain that God wants to use our lives, but how becomes a little bit different. When we get there, we start to plan and James's passage today is about the person who plans without God. It is good for us to be strategic and planning our lives. We are to be certain that in our, that we are to be certain that in life that our lives have a point and a purpose. But we cannot make the ultimate mistake and oversight of being certain about our lives without faith in God. If you're here today and you didn't know the certainty of life, I want you to hear that God made you and God says your life can reflect his glory. God says he made you in his likeness so that the world can see what God is like. God says that he loves people and you can love people in such a way that they feel that God loves them. 
God is that way and that good. And your life has a certain purposeful point to it. And it is only through trusting in Christ as a forgiving savior, one who will lead and rule our lives as a true king that we gladly submit to. It is only there that you will understand purpose and point and certainty with your life. And I hope that you know that. If you've never read the Bible before, then I would invite you to. As soon as you begin to read what the Lord Jesus is like, you will feel that God is working in your heart and inside of you to say, I want it to matter. This is why teachers go to school and teach. This is why coaches go to, go to teams and coach. This is why people love their neighbors because God is real. He's changed our lives and he is working in us and we want them to know that their life matters. There is certainly a certainty of life. And so we like it when somebody says, okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go here, we're gonna go there, we're gonna make these plans, we're gonna do these things. Except when they get that focused on life and purpose without God. And so this moves into our second point. Not only is life certain, the certainty of life, but secondly, life is uncertain. And this is really what this whole passage is about, the uncertainty of life. In verse 14, James writes, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. This is a sobering reality, folks. We may have a lot of plans tomorrow. If I pulled up right now my Google Calendar, it's full of things for me to do tomorrow, but you're kidding yourself if you think they are guaranteed and set in stone. As verse 14 says, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. At almost every funeral I do, I say, you know what? I hope you live for another 50 years. And I do. I hope you get a good long life. But we are kidding ourselves if we think we have another 50 days even. I hope you know both of those to be true. I hope you have 50 years, but you may not have another 50 days. James says, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. And then he asks the question, what is your life? Is it an anchor? Is it a rock? No, it's not. It's not guaranteed, set in stone forever. It's not yours to fix. It is, look what he uses here, a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Wow, that's what our lives are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Some translations say a mist, some say a smoke, some say a vapor, but as Douglas Moose says, the point is clear enough with these words. Human life is insubstantial and transitory. We are here one minute and we are gone the next. Illness, accidental death, or even the return of Christ could cut short our lives just as quickly as the morning sun dissipates the mist or as a shift in wind direction blows away the smoke. If you do not realize that your life is a vapor, then hear that today. Just as I stood at that funeral and watched a five-year-old trying to kiss his dad where he couldn't even reach into the casket, and I felt the heaviness of, man, I, I, that kid will never be kissed by his dad. It fell on me. I could be in that position any day, or my kids could be in that position any day. I need to kiss my kids now because my life is a vapor. There is no guarantee that I will see 41. I'm 40 right now. 
And the same is true for you. Your life is uncertain. And so, since we know our lives to be uncertain, James says in verse 15 that here's how you ought to speak in your planning. Again, the issue is not so much the planning. That's not a problem. That's a good thing. That is strategic and wise. That's a good stewardship of time and energy and money and life and years and days and all of that. Planning is okay. But James says you must include God's sovereign hand, his being a father to you, his good purposes in what he's doing with your life. You must believe. Believe that, trust that. And so James says in verse 15, instead, you ought to say it like this. If, and that's the big word there, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If, that's a big if. Tomorrow morning, I'm gonna wake up and take my little girl to school. If the Lord wills, right? Next Sunday, we'll be back here at James chapter five and we'll just keep this moving seven days from now, right? If the Lord wills. You and your loved one will grow old together, have grandkids, have a nice life if the Lord wills. We were gonna have a good 2020, weren't we? We're gonna go to school and we're gonna have a state fair and a Fairdale Fair. I mean, we are gonna do all these things if the Lord willed. And this year, he didn't. And so everybody that had plans for 2020 has been let down. Oh, I hope God was in view. Or if not, they are struggling. They are frustrated. They are depressed. They are angry angry in 2020 because they don't know the if that God is in charge of his world. Life is always a bit uncertain to the sovereign hand of God and what he plans to do. James is saying, while it is beautiful to have the certainty of life, there is always an uncertainty. You must learn with every plan to think and believe and at times even say, if the Lord wills. In Acts chapter 18, verse 21, the apostle Paul tells the people of Ephesus as he is leaving, quote, I will return to you if God wills. In Romans chapter one, Paul, wrote to the, Paul writes to the Roman church, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. In 1 Corinthians 4, 19, he says, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. In 1 Corinthians 16, seven, Paul says, I hope to spend time with you if the Lord permits. Paul had a lot of plans and a lot of goals and he did travel a lot, but in all of his travels, in all of his meetings, in all of his planning of his life, he understood if and only if my God in heaven allows it. This is not my life, I don't call the shots. If, if, if. John MacArthur calls this person in verses 13 who speaks so much about his life without considering God, without the if, John MacArthur calls this the practical atheist. He says they do not know what the future holds for them, but they are planning their lives as if God does not exist. Only God knows the future. James is not here condemning wise business planning, but rather planning that leaves God out. Is that you? 
Have you forgotten that life is uncertain? Are you certain that all that money you're saving is gonna go to the car, to the house? Are you certain that your life's just gonna go so beautiful, y'all gonna be married this long, and then you're gonna have this kid, and then you're gonna wait two more years, you're gonna have that kid, you're gonna wait two more years, you're gonna have that kid, you're gonna wait two more years, you're gonna have that kid, because that's what I hear all the time that everybody wants to do. Just want it to be so perfect. To which I say in, in, in serious, felt humility, specifically in the area of having children, you better believe in the if. Children are not guaranteed. You don't get to have children when you want to have children. God gives them if he wills. Believe that. Don't take any area of your life and rip it away from the sovereignty of God and say, it's mine, God. And I'm gonna do with it what I want to do with it and God will not stop me. Instead, we don't want to be practical atheists. We want to say, if, 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 if my Father in heaven that loves me wills it, if he wants it, if he will use my life for his glory, then this is what I am planning to do. But he knows Isaiah 46 says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel will stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Believers believe that. We believe God. Moo goes on to say, it's not enough, James suggests to recognize that one's own life is uncertain and transitory. Such a recognition, after all, is not even specifically religious to realize that life could be cut short. What these merchants need to go on to reckon with is that their lives are also in the hands of God. Listen to this. This world is not a closed system. What appears to our senses to be the totality of existence is, in fact, only part of the whole. Amen. This life cannot be properly understood without considering the spiritual realm, amen? This life cannot be properly understood without considering the spiritual realm to which you and I, with every single thing we do, must believe if the Lord permits it. We're gonna have our wedding outside if God doesn't let it rain. We're gonna go to Ecuador next summer once COVID's gone, aren't we? Right now, all of us go, if, if we can. Y'all, when we plan our lives, we plan our lives understanding the huge uncertainty of life if the Lord wills. In our lives, listen to this, it is not unfortunate or it is not tragic when you do not get what you desire to do. Listen to me as we hear people say all the time. Oh, that's so unfortunate and that's so tragic. This is what I desire to do. That's not unfortunate and tragic. Here is what is unfortunate and tragic. When you do not do what God desires for you to do, God tells us that our days are numbered. Moses prays in Psalm 90, Lord, teach us to number our days. James teaches us to live with if the Lord wills. We should know by now that we are not here to live our lives for how we want to live our lives. We are here to live our lives with the way God has filled us with purpose to live our lives for his glory. And we know that there is such uncertainty 
here. I want you to look with me at Luke chapter 12. And I know when we get to turning in these, these sermons, sometimes it's a little bit hard, but this is like the parable that shows us the uncertainty of life. And I know that even without much application, you will get this. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. If you do not know this parable, then circle it and highlight it and put your bookmark there. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, I'll stop there for just a second. Amen. Your life does not consist in all that you own and all that you have. It does not one bit speak to your character, you know, how many hours you work at your job or how many uh, pounds you can lift or how many miles you can run or how much money's in your bank account. That is not what life is all about. When James asked the question in James 4, what is your life? He is wanting us to step back and really ask, who am I? What is my identity? Am I trusting in the God who made me and owns my life? Man's Life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. There is more to life than our stuff. Verse 16, so he tells him a parable, saying, now listen to this. The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, here's what I'll do, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Y'all, the purpose of this parable is not for you to never save up your stuff. And the purpose of this parable is not for you to go and give away all your stuff right now. The purpose of your parable is for you to bow your heart and your knee to God and say, God, what do you want me to do with my life? God, how much do I give and how much do I keep? How long am I gonna live? How, how much do I need to be able to take care of all the responsibilities in my life? And the answer is not none and the answer is not all. The answer is, God, give me wisdom as I walk by faith to live this life the way that you want me to. There is an uncertainty of life. If you've got $100 right now, you ought not spend it all today. And if you've got $100 right now, you ought not necessarily save it all today. You need to figure it out. If you're gonna die tomorrow, you could spend it all today. If you're gonna live for 100 more years, you better save it, right? This is the reality of our lives. If, if, if there is uncertainty, you need to seek the Lord and say, God, guide my life. And certainly there are many other elements and directions and categories and variables to our lives than just money. He just uses stuff and possessions here in this parable because that's a real practical way for us to examine this. But what about time? What about, again, kissing your children or even better, kissing your spouse? 
if you're thinking, we've been fighting all 2020, I don't even wanna kiss her. And you're waiting for COVID to get over, over for tensions to die down, and then you might be sweet again. Hey, you need to hear the word of God today. We may never get past tension. There's a chance we might live this way forever with the tension. Wake up to that reality. We may be living in this tense life forever and it's only gonna get more tense. There's a real chance it just keeps going. Life just gets worse and worse. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Don't think I'll live for God or I'll be this good man I'm supposed to be if I get it the way I want it. No, there is an uncertainty to life. You must accept now, I don't get it the way I want it, but God knows what he's doing and I can trust him. We are believers, we believe him, we live by faith. If God is blessing your farm so much that you have so much success and so much stuff and so much crops that your barns can't even hold it, now you gotta build new barns just so you can save more stuff and you just keep storing up and storing up and storing up so that forever, for the next 100 years, you'll have plenty, then God might come to you tonight and say, sorry, you're about to die, you're never gonna have a chance to use that. You should have considered why was God blessing you to begin with, what if God is blessing me so that I can do something with it, a little bit of both. Save up and give, that's the point of that. The point is life is so uncertain, we must turn to God. We never think, here's what I'm going to do. We think, here's what I'm going to do with the Lord's help, by his grace, if he wills it. Is it pleasing to him? Is it not pleasing to him? Does it build the kingdom? Does it build up my church? Does it help those around me? Is this good for me, my soul, my faith, for my family? Those are the type of things that we're asking under the lordship of Christ and our Father in heaven. Moo goes on to say, as John Calvin pertinently observes, Jesus, Paul, and the other apostles do not always state this condition when they plan for their future. So he's talking about, do you literally have to say it? He says, what was important is not the verbalization of if the Lord wills, but that they had it as a principle fixed in their minds that they would do nothing without the permission of God. God is in charge of our lives. We are that certain that it is all uncertain up to the will of God. Haven't you had plans fall through before? Haven't you have it rain when you're supposed to have a meeting outside? Haven't you had a big appointment that you missed because of a flat tire or traffic or something? And didn't you feel the anger and frustration Grip tight and then loosen up with, I'm not in charge, I'm not in charge, I'm not in charge. Haven't you been there before? Yes. To which God wants us to see in his word, you should have known this from the beginning. You should have said, you should have believed if the Lord wills. God is our God. 
He is our Lord. And there are many things in our lives that are uncertain. Look back with me, if you will, at James chapter four. Notice that he says, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. This passage is to remind us that we are not as big and we are not as special or as important as we may think we are. We are to see God as big. We are to see our purpose inside of God's plans. We are to believe him. Life is certain, there is purpose. And life is uncertain, God is in charge of it more than we are. Again, nothing wrong with planning, but plan with God in view. Lastly, number three, the certainty of life and the uncertainty of life. And lastly, number three, the significance of life. James immediately goes from there with if the Lord wills to talking about how wrong it is if we're not. He says in verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. It is a prideful, arrogant boast for you to say, here's what I'm gonna do apart from consideration of God. It is prideful and it is arrogant. It is prideful for you to think that you can plan your life and it will only go the way you want it to go. He then comes even stronger and says, all such boasting is evil. Now, let's be clear here exactly what he's talking about. Do not miss what James is saying. As R.C. Sproul points out, boasting of one's power and accomplishments is evil. The Christian is to boast only of the Lord. Notice that this is not a blasphemy or this is not a heresy, so to speak. This is not like what we would think of with evil terms. This is not calling somebody good like a disgraceful name. But he does say, not just the commentator, but the book of, John, the book of James, here the word of God says that when we arrogantly, pridefully boast of what we're going to do without considering what the Lord might have planned for us to do, that is evil. Evil. Who do we think we are? What if God has other plans? You thought you only wanted to have one kid. What if God wanted you to have more? You thought you were gonna have lots of kids. What if God wanted you to have none? You thought you were gonna be healthy and strong. And God has made some of us sick so that we might depend on him. You thought you were gonna be married forever and you're single. You thought you were gonna be single and now you're married. You thought you were gonna retire early and yet you're still working. Is God allowed to do with our lives what God wants to do with our lives that we might depend on him more fully, more wholly? When we plan our lives without consideration of God, it is evil according to verse 16. Verse 17 then says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Now it's really fascinating that this statement is there at the end of chapter four. People use this verse all the time, don't they? You've heard verse 17 before. But they never use it in context and we always use it for just somebody who knew better and did wrong, right? That's the way we always use it. 
And I guess that works, it applies and it fits. But isn't it interesting that this is where he puts it? He's not saying, I told you to not cross the road, you cross the road, okay, well since you knew to not cross the road and you cross the road, you sinned. That, 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 that works, but that's not what he's saying. What's he just been talking about? He's talking about me or you, the believer, that knows that life is certain and it matters. And I want my life to count and God will get glory through my life. He's talking to us. For when we take that passion and we turn this way and we go so hard toward good things without the consideration of God, the person who knows better than that and still does it is sinning. We are to say if, if, if. Every day should begin with if. Every night should begin with if. So we get to this final point, the significance of life. We want our lives to be so significant. We think that we find that with independence or autonomy or self-centeredness. Me, myself, and I. And I'll build a name for myself. And yet the Bible is teaching us here that there is certainty, there is significance. Your life can count for God's glory. It can, but it happens through dependence. It happens through humility that says, I need you, God. You use my life. And so here we see why this passage becomes so key for the church. We know a lot of people, do we not? Listen, this is a common story here. Their life wasn't going very well. Perhaps they had a falling out, they lost their job, they had a breakup in a relationship, and so they realized, maybe I need to get God in my life. Life had gone south, and maybe they would call it rock bottom, they were broken, things weren't going well, so they need God. So they start looking to God. Maybe they start reading the Bible. Maybe they start going to church and they do the things that the church tells them to do. Maybe they get baptized. They join a Bible study and all of that. They start making better decisions. Favor or fortune falls in their direction a little bit. And things start getting a little bit better. And once they do, they no longer need God because things have gotten good. Y'all, I've only been here for 17 years and I could probably tell you about 500 of those. They didn't necessarily bow their heart to their Father in heaven and say, if the Lord wills, I'll do this or that. They said, I want to do this or that, and I think the best way is to get God to help me. There's a big difference there, big difference. If we want our lives to be significant, we don't need to be stronger individuals. We don't need to be more impressive. You don't need to be more independent and say, look at me. You need to be dependent. You need to say, if the Lord wills, if my Father in heaven desires that, then here's what I will do with my life. You know, once Val and I started having kids, 
became really cool to see my parents in a new way. I've always known them as parents, and now I know them also as grandparents. That's special, is it not? Grandparents are such a special thing. Our grandparents live in North Carolina, and we do not get to see them very much, and that's sad. Maybe, just maybe, a couple times a year, and now with COVID and not supposed to travel and all that, we haven't seen them much. But even with that, our kids love their grandparents. Isn't that cool? They love their grandparents. And being a grandparent really does sound like the perfect situation, to which lately I've been thinking, I can't wait to be a grandparent. I've asked our kids, if the Lord wills, if they would each have five, and then Val and I could be grandparents to 25 kids. Wouldn't that be awesome? I told them if that happens, they will only get socks for Christmas. (laughs) Even that would be pretty expensive to buy socks for 25. But I've been thinking about it. I think I'll be a better grandparent than I will be a better parent. Parenting is hard. Parenting has a lot of pressure and stress. And there's a lot of pressure to think, am I doing a good job? How are we doing? How do our kids feel? Remember last week or the week before when I told that story about me not being patient at home, holding myself accountable more than I would hold you all. You remember that? I really felt like I may be putting my kids in an awkward position. And so as we were riding home, I I said to them, hey, how are y'all feeling as y'all are growing up? And I keep talking about y'all in sermons. I don't wanna put y'all in a bad spot. And one of them spoke up. It's the first thing he said. He said, when you talk about us like that, it makes me feel that you love us. That's what we want. But even with that, we feel all the time like this is so hard. You only get one shot to raise your kids. It's flying by. Man, I feel the certainty of it and the uncertainty of it. So I've been thinking like, man, I can't wait to be a grandparent if the Lord wills. I certainly know it's not guaranteed. But I wanna be a better grandparent than I am a parent. You see how thinking about significance And thinking about what God wants can be good for you and shape your life. When we are dependent upon God and we think like, man, what does God want me to be as a grandparent? Because parenting's too hard for me to think about it too much. But as a grandparent, that I can say right now, man, I want to do it for God's glory. I wanna love those kids, pray with those kids, be there for those kids. I want to speak truth into their lives. I want to be their biggest encouragement. See, significance is better when we're dependent upon God. Don't feel tempted. Don't feel swayed by the world's influence for you to go out there and be so great to where everybody loves you. Bow your knee to Jesus who loves you, who will define your life, forgive you of your sins and say, Lord, here's what I wanna do with my life if you will allow it. Work in me. In the 1950s, there were five college students from Wheaton College. You've heard of this story. They wanted to go reach the Quechua Indians in Ecuador and share the gospel with them. Led by Jim Elliott and Nate Saint, they went to Ecuador. 
to share the gospel with them when you've heard this story. Things went bad, it wasn't the best strategy in the world and some unfortunate things happened and right there in their 20s on an island right there in the, in the river, those five young 20-year-old college students were speared to death by the Quechua Indians and murdered as missionaries. They were happy and loving and prayerful. All they wanted to do was share the love of God with them. They weren't gonna fight back, but they, there was a misunderstanding and they were killed. The beautiful story there is that the wives of those five missionaries went back to the very people that killed their husbands and shared the gospel with them. And that tribe came to know Jesus. And to this day, there are faithful Christians there. It's a neat story. It's been very well publicized. Jim Elliott had a wife, though, named Elizabeth. You've probably heard of Elizabeth Elliott, maybe. She's written some books. And some of the things that she's written are things about Jim. Again, he died in his 20s. There's a book out that you can get now called The Journals of Jim Elliott. Nobody had seen this before. But after Jim Elliott was killed as a missionary in Ecuador, speared to death in a river by those Indians, they found this written in his journal. Dear God, I seek not a long life, but a full one like you, Jesus. Dear God, I seek not a long life, but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. Let's be honest here today. May it not matter if we live to be 100 or 90 or 41, if we're not gonna live it with the certainty and significance that God rules our lives, that God is the treasure. But may we say, I don't know how many days or years I have left, but if he gives me another, I'll live it for him. I'll hug my kids today. I'll say thank you tomorrow. And every moment he gives me, I'll bow my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ who loves me and gave himself for me. Also found in Jim Elliott's journal, who died in his 20s, he had written, when it comes time to die, make sure all you have to do is die. What is your life? If you die today, were you ready? If the Lord wills, let's go do this or that. If the Lord wills, let's go live for his glory. If the Lord wills, let's go change the world. If the Lord wills, let's reach our community. But let's make sure, starting right now, we believe if he wills. That our Father in heaven loves us and his son is our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for James. The big question of what is our life. God, we may not be given 50 more years, and we know that. We know that. Father, so help us to live now like we do not know what tomorrow will bring. 
because we don't, and we confess that. So help us not to be the practical atheist who's gonna go out and make all these plans without you. Instead, give us certainty that you want to use our lives, but help us to trust you through it. Father, thank you for this Sunday and for your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.